Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Martin Bain. Uh, I'm the chair of the California Young Lawyers Association, CYLA. Uh, I'll be your host today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 Lawyers Association Annual Meeting in Monterey, California. Joining me today, I have Lydia Lockett and I have Nick Oliver. Uh, Welcome to the show, both of you. Welcome, Lydia. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to the show, Nick. Hi. Uh, maybe we can kind of, before we launch into everything, you guys can just kind of introduce yourselves, let us know where you practice and, and what you do. Sure. So I guess I'll go first. Um, I'm Lydia Lockett. I practice trust and estates litigation and fiduciary dispute resolution and administration um, out of Holland and Knight, Los Angeles. And I've been practicing probably going to my seventh year now um, and just exclusively focus on litigation in the trust and estates realm. I'm Nick Oliver. I, I'm an attorney out of Sacramento. I work for the California Energy Commission as an uh, energy and environmental lawyer. Uh, I'm also the vice chair of CYLA and uh, will be the chair-elect. So starting after this meeting, I'll be the chair. Great. So I, I have both of the, you guys here today because we're going to basically cover this in two, two kind of topics. One, Lydia is going to give us some substantive law updates and, and kind of a little primer uh, and then we're going to talk about section updates, Nick, uh, and kind of where, where the next year is going to go. But you've kind of been an all-star of this uh, meeting to here this weekend because you have a couple of panels that you're on, uh, and you're also doing a lot of our 10-minute mentor videos for CYLA, so we wanted to thank you for doing that. But I do have kind of some questions about your topic. So one of your topics that you're talking about is basically evidence in the trust and estates and, and how that's used. So I guess... Just kind of starting from the from the beginning stages of, of litigation, what can you tell us maybe about things that young lawyers should think about when they're drafting pleading? Right, and I, I think that was the focus of our talk was just don't think about it just don't think about your evidence rules just at trial. Uh, you need to also think about it at the pleading stage, the discovery stage, and then also at trial. And at the pleading stage, you want to make sure that. When you're drafting your pleadings, you're looking at the jury instructions, thinking that it is going to get to trial, what kind of evidence you're going to need in order to sustain your claims through a motion for summary judgment or a motion for uh, summary adjudication, and not to expose your client to malicious prosecution claims if your claims should fail for failure of proof. So if you've got issues with stale, old evidence, hard to authenticate, hard to obtain, I think twice about bringing those claims in the first place. So what's something that could be hard to obtain? For, for you. It sounds like you're, you're saying, think about the end of the litigation before you even start the litigation. What, what are some roadblocks that you've seen before? Sure. Like um, when you're having your initial consultation with your client and they're telling you about the facts of their case and they're talking about transactions that might have happened 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, um, and they don't have bank records or any sort of documentation to show that the transactions that they're concerned about happened, If you're going to try to subpoena those records from a bank, for instance, um, we've got document retention policies about seven years. You're going to have a really hard issue of proof trying to prove that those transactions actually occurred the way that you're going to allege them. So um, those are one of the typical issues that you might want to keep an eye out for. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then let's just say we've filed our pleadings. What should the young attorneys or what should we be doing in the discovery phase? Uh, of litigation. So when you're thinking about discovery, think about 
um, it in terms of if you don't have it, you can't use it at trial. If your opponent does not have it, they can't use it at trial either. So the key is to be very strategic with your objections, know your discovery rules, know what your burden is in order to justify the discovery you're seeking, and know what the burden is um, if you're going to be asking to resist discovery through objecting. And you have to really be very careful about looking at the specific code of civil procedure sections that relate to the discovery that you're dealing with because the burdens differ. One big difference is there's a good cause requirement for document productions in order to get that, that information, whereas with requests for admissions, interrogatories, and even just oral depositions, there's not necessarily a good cause requirement for those. So really keep track of those, keep track of special objections, privilege. Um, those can be very tricky, they can be very nuanced, and because they are, you can use them very strategically to block the discovery of information that you don't want to have discovered, or you can use them to, you can know the nuances of them to um, make sure that you are able to get the things that you are wanting to discover. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Is there anything different about what your practice is in the probate court versus maybe the civil court in the discovery phase? Um, there are. There are certain very probate-specific trust and estates carve-outs, especially with respect to privilege. And that's one of those key distinctions that if you're practicing in civil and you're coming over to probate, you might not be aware of those trust and estate-specific carve-outs for uh, privilege, for instance. Uh, Patient-physician is one of them. We all know that there's a, there's a privilege between patients and physicians. There's a carve-out that is relative to trust and estates, where if, it's, if the, the communication between the doctor and the patient is relevant to an issue... Um, that relates to all parties who are in a dispute regarding something that they're going to get from a deceased patient. So I'm talking about if the issue is like capacity or their physical well-being, that might actually have an impact that you wouldn't see necessarily in uh, non-probate litigation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So kind of moving on, you know, let's say you've done the pleading and the discovery, and what are some special objections that might occur in, in your practice versus maybe something else? So you're talking about uh, you're getting it, you're a discovery Yeah, you're, your discovery maybe. And, okay. And so attorney-client privilege is also another one of those big special objections that you see a lot in trust and estates con uh, context because... There are rules governing successor fiduciaries um, and who holds the privilege um, when you've got a client who is now deceased. Typically in trust and estates, you got to have a personal representative to assert or waive the privilege. And then also in trust and estates, you often find attorneys representing multiple people, multiple beneficiaries, multiple fiduciaries, and that joint rep situation is kind of a tricky one because as between joint clients, the joint clients can't really assert the privilege against each other, even with trilateral or bilateral communications. So, and there's also attorney work product issues. I could go on and on <laughs> um, with respect to estate planning files, whether or not that they can be disclosed or discovered because they aren't being prepared for litigation or trial necessarily. And that's what we typically think of with respect to attorney, uh, attorney work product, especially since there's a federal rule that specifically says the work product needs to be produced for the purposes of trial. So those are just a couple. <laughs> Interesting. So kind of the last substantive question I had, let's say you, you have the evidence at trial. Are there, are there certain types of exclusions, even though you've discovered a whole bunch of information? Are there 
Is there certain stuff that doesn't ever come in or, or can be barred? Or? Sure. I mean, like one of the big things that I've seen, at least in my experience with trial, is you got to be very, very careful about what you do in discovery because that can have an impact at what comes in in trial. So, for instance, we had a case recently or a couple of years ago, actually, where opposing counsel, you know, exchanged exhibit lists with us and we saw a bunch of documents that they hadn't produced during discovery but which were responsive to our requests we filed a motion in limine to exclude it because it was not fair for them to try to bring that in at trial when we had not seen it before. Um, and also, they'd missed the discovery cutoff, so they never actually got a chance to depose our clients before trial, which was a huge problem for them. So, I mean, you know, complying with discovery rules and being careful and cognizant of them is very, very important and can have a huge, huge impact uh, on your success at trial. That's great. Anything we didn't cover that you, you might want to... Tell us about some of your, other, your your presentation, or I think I've covered most of the high points. That there was a lot of information there, so I yeah. keeping it high level at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> we only have ten minutes for a, for a whole hour long presentation. Exactly, so exactly. Well, thanks so much. So next, we're going to kind of move on to the CYLA section updates and kind of upcoming programs. So you know, this last year was my my year to chair the. Uh, section and, and it's been a year of transition for CYLA and the CLA, the California Lawyers Association, as a whole. Something that we've really kind of pushed to do is do networking events. So we had a successful one down uh, in LA. We had some up in Northern California as well. We've been putting on substantive webinars throughout the year, and we've also had a lot of our CYLA board members uh, partake in being on part of uh, a lot of substantive law updates. I know Lydia, you've been doing quite a few this last year. Uh, for the trust and state section, so I'm sure they're very appreciative of that. But something else we're kind of doing, and in, in, even today at the annual meeting, we're doing a lot of 10-minute mentor videos that we hope to get up online. Uh, just kind of quick snippets of, of things that have occurred uh, today at the annual, or this weekend at the annual meeting, and kind of provide some value to our uh, value to our constituencies. CYLA is uh, growing. It's an exciting organization to be a part of because with our new format, each of the 16 sections of the California Bar or of the of the CLA, sorry, I'm still a holdover from when the CLA was part of the California Bar. Each of them have uh, a section liaison on our board, and we end up integrating them into our board. And we're uh, very happy to be able to work with this various sections uh, in order to not only promote the sections but also promote uh, good substantive legal work uh, and, and information for our constituents. But I'm going to kind of. Go over to Nick. Nick is going to be our incoming chair for 2019 and 2020. Nick, what do you see your next year as chair like? Uh, are there any initiatives you'd like to start or anything you'd like to continue or highlight? Yeah, well, I think this is uh, maybe where I sort of end with the beginning and remind the listeners, some of whom may be CYLA members, but some who may not be, that we, by definition, California lawyers in their first eight years of practice are automatically uh, enrolled as members of CYLA upon admission to the bar. So that's really who our, our demographic is, who we serve, and who our executive committee is made up of as well. Um, Martin mentioned the composition of our board as, as, as being primarily uh, composed of the section liaison representatives from the 16 CLA sections. And so the way I see at a high level um, our growth heading and, and, and what I see my goals as as chair in the coming year would be to um, capitalize on this uh, new integration 
of CYLA and the sections and build on our existing collaboration and help foster maybe weaker points or, you know, basically make every section's connection to CYLA much stronger than it has been in the past. And so by bridging those connections with the sections, I think that we will grow CYLA, you know, and meet the needs of a broad, diverse group of, uh, of our membership, um, which currently um, we reach through our emails upwards of 50,000 uh, members in California. So there's a huge base of CYLA members, uh, some of whom are actively involved and some of whom may not, um, may not be as involved. But I think by, you know, coll increasing collaboration with the sections, fostering growth in social media and, uh, and other channels, uh, we'll really capitalize on, on, on our new structure of this board. Anything else you want to kind of add about the upcoming year for CYLA? The only thing I would add on to that point is um, I really see there has been kind of seven different uh, approaches to collaboration with CYLA that, that I've, I've talked about in other capacities, but you touched on a few of them. We're obviously building our 10-minute mentor program and we're continuing to produce uh, webinars monthly. Um, but we also have our quarterly e-news. We have a catalog of self-study articles. We're building mentorship programs, for example, for the first time ever, CYLA and the environmental law section are having a mentor pairing program at their Yosemite meeting next week. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, we continue to provide um, many discounts to CYLA members on programming uh, provided by the other sections, and, and, and we're proud to continue on offering those opportunities. Great. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our road for our episode today. I want to thank Lydia. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Nick, of for course, joining anytime. us today. If our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up, how can they reach you to? They can email me at Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A, dot locket, L-O-C-K-E-T-T, at hklaw.com. And for me, I, I would encourage you to reach out to C-Y-L-A at C-A-Lawyers.org. That's the general C-Y-L-A email, and, and we can always be reached that way. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you heard, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Martin Bain. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.